Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? A little better. Uh, The absolute bitter disappointment of the playoffs. And it really was. It really was embittering. It was hard. Um, I didn't want to talk or write about the Oilers. Well, I I was happy to talk about them, but just like writing about them. And I finally listened to the Tippett interview, um, for instance, his post-game interview after the loss. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. But Bruce, we're here today to talk about the various things Ken Holland said, both in a 50-some minute interview with uh, the media, which was lots of information, lots of content there. Ken Holland, he's a talker, and that's a good thing. Um, he's not a man of few words. He's a man of many words. And most of them pretty, dar- pretty darn wise, Bruce. I really got a really good sense, and we'll, we'll both talk about that. And we'll also talk about his interview with Bob Stoffer today. Um, I want to start, start, Bruce, with what I thought was kind of... Um, just one interesting thing that I noted, and, and it's the headline of my post. So three times in the press conference, Holland was asked an increasingly pointed fashion about the defensive play of Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid in the playoff series. And the first two times that he was asked that question, he almost completely avoided answering it. He, the first time he completely avoided, he didn't even bring up their defensive play. And then the second time, he kind of brought got into a little bit of a rambling discourse on dry settles plus minus in the regular season without actually addressing the point of whether he needs to improve or not. And then the third time, Speck, you know, finally, Mark Spector just finally nailed him, like, you know, could you please answer this? And he, he gave an answer. And I'll, he, what he said was, um, Speck asked, um, does the team need their defensive leadership more than their offensive leadership right now? And Holland said the answer would be yes, but I saw that happening. And then he, he talked about Drysaddle in the regular season, how he had dug in on a back check against Carolina and did well there. And um, he, Holland's quote is, uh, they are getting better. But I also think in this playoff series, we were playing against battle-tested. Some players there had won three Stanley Cups. They had to learn that too, and we're learning it. And you're focusing on the two guys, but certainly... Our entire team, we're learning that defense is as important as offense in terms of going for long playoff runs, unquote. Bruce, first of all, what did you think of McDavid and Dreisaitl's defensive play in the playoffs? And then what do you think of Holland's response? Yeah, uh, I would say uh, not not good enough yeah. uh, defensive play. You know, I mean, they, they didn't get a lot of saves behind them necessarily, but they got beat on key plays. And both McDavid and Dreisaitl were on the ice for five goals for and five goals against at even strength in the series, which I don't know what their ice time was, probably, you know, four games, 70 minutes maybe. So that's a lot of goals for, but when you're giving up as much as you get, well, you're not really making much progress. And I, I thought all season... Uh, that there was, you know, lapses. And I think it's something both players absolutely have to address as these reporters kept hammering on with their implying, with their questions. And as uh, uh, Holland sort of beat around the bush a little bit with on his answers, like he, he didn't hang anyone out to dry in this interview. He's, he's too too crafty for that. But he did acknowledge issues uh, existing. And a lot of people are coming up with this, uh, you know, the 
Stevie Eisenman comparison, which of course Ken Holland would know very well. Uh, but um, uh, I keep wondering, you know, the Oilers never would have won that first cup until Wayne Gretzky so totally committed himself to defense. <laughs> yeah, it's not you know. Bruce. This isn't the eighties. <laughs> there's no one. There's no one answer, David. Is all yes, I'm saying. Yes, it's true. But, it's true. But that you, what you need is your offensive. You know, your your top skills to be more than enough to. You know, to make you an outscorer. If you're not an outscorer, it doesn't matter if the score is five to five or zero to zero. Frankly, you know, so. Holland brought up a really key point, and this is this really hit me over the head. He said, you know, he pointed out the Oilers had the lead in every single game in that series, no. but they couldn't hold that lead for no. more than three or four, and that was what was so disconcerting mm-hmm. about the play of the Oilers through the regular season. They had gone, they had had games where in the third period. They they were holding on a one game one goal lead and they were dominant. They shut down the other teams, but they were never able to do that. And they were out of sync in so many ways in this series defensively. It, it's almost it's painful, but also laughable how bad their defensive play was. And almost every single one of their top players, almost every single one of them, McDavid, Drysital, Clefbaum, Nurse, Larson. Um, Maybe not Nugent Hopkins to as great as an extent, but he's a winger, right? So it's it's a little different on the wing. But Yamamoto had his struggles. But the the, the centers and the demon, man, they're slot defense, Bruce. Like I know that a lot has been made of how lots of goals from the point, but their yeah. slot defense was absolutely abysmal. And all of those players, the point shots were getting tipped in the slot. They were also getting tipped in the slot, but there was also lots of chances from the slot that hit the post and didn't go in. And they had tons of good shots where the goalies actually, Oilers made some good, Oilers goalies made some good saves on slot shots and also got lucky because there was um, posts. But the all of the key defenders and centers on the Oilers had s- struggled to defend the slot. And that's why the Oilers could not hold a lead because their slot defense was so crappy. And, um, you know... It's hard to, this is one of the things where it's hard to know how much to make of it because they were off for four months before and coming back. But, you know, just as a general statement, yeah, Drysettle and McDavid have got to do better. Darnell Nurse has got to do way better. Oscar Clefbaum has got to do better. Um, you know, Larson was out, so it's just played two games. But all their key players need to do better and, 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 um, it, it sounded like though, um, Holland is putting the, this part of maybe part of that into perspective, cause it was just the four game series. He's looking at the whole run of their mm-hmm. work. Yeah. I don't know if dry settle, what I would say about dry settle Bruce is his defense got a whole lot better when he was put on a line that was in sync, that made sense. The line with McDavid never made sense. Cause no one knew who was, who was supposed to cover the defensive slot and they were running around all over the place. Um, by December, and neither of them covering the slot consistently. When Drysaddle was put on his own line with Nuge, Drysaddle took responsibility by and large for covering the slot and did a good job. And that line was always in the other team's end, you know, always pressuring the other team, so it wasn't as big a concern. But I thought McDavid also did fairly well on his own as a defensive center when he was without Drysaddle, when he was away from Drysaddle. So going forward... Keep those guys on their own lines, damn it. Like, don't put them on the same line again. Yeah. That's ju- that's A1. So they know that they're centers. They know that is their job, and they do it. 
And um, that's all I have to say on that. Bruce, baby steps. Holland yeah. talked a lot about um, how hard it is to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. how easy it is to lose in the playoffs. And in Detroit, he talked about, yeah, they won some cups, but what he remembers is a, a lot of disappointment year after year of sure. losing, 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 getting bumped from the playoffs, disappointment. And how you have to give yourself the chance of getting to the playoffs so you put yourself in a position where the good things might happen and you might win one year. So he talked about baby steps, incremental changes. He talked about one or two changes for this summer, a few changes for this summer. The team's got to change, but he, he right. limited it. And he made also a comment of you don't want to be in a position, and he said this on Bob Stoffer show, of moving out six or seven or eight players each, each summer, year. moving out and moving in. And he said he did that the first year because they needed to bring in all these. But he's not interested in doing that because his philosophy is continuity and patience. So what did you make of all that? Yeah, that that really rang a bell, you know, with me, that comment about the continuity. You do need to change and always refresh your team. I don't think you can just stick with the entire same team. Uh, but... but um, uh, turfing your entire bottom six, say, and and bringing in a whole new set of bottom sixers the next year, uh, year after year, GM after GM, has not proven to be a very satisfactory strategy here in Edmonton. And in the case of Holland, he did make uh, some of those wholesale changes this year, uh, brought in different layers of players, uh, and he's clearly... Uh, by the number of extensions that he's signed uh, with the likes of um, uh, Josh Archibald, Gaetan Haas, Joachim Nigard. Uh, I mean, none of those guys is the be-all and end-all as a hockey player, but they can all play. And they'll come back here next year with, a, you know, there'll be more of a sense of continuity for the players themselves within the team, but also for the team, uh, you know, their teammates knowing what they have, what to expect. And I think Holland made the good point that especially Haas and Nigard, now they had their feet wet in the NHL level. And he said they only got, you know, three and five goals, the two of them. But he thinks both are capable of making another step. And and uh, I think there's a pretty legit chance that one of them will make the step. And I, I'm not prepared to, to guess which one might get the leg up. But it's not impossible. Both will be better NHL players next year. I think... Uh, they showed enough that uh, you'd like to think that if they got regular work for a consistent period of time where they were in the lineup in a, in a solid, consistent position, uh, that there's another level to their games, whether it's special teams or just bringing a little bit more offense at even strength or what have you. So not necessarily going out and dumping those guys and bringing in three or four more plug-and-play guys. Well, I've noticed that a lot of the plug-and-play guys we brought in the past have been more plug than play. Bruce, we're not going to, he's not going to be Peter Shirelli bold moves. You know, it seemed like every summer Shirelli was moving out the team's best forward, you know, best winger, excuse me, best winger. And, you know, it, it, you know, Maroon, Hall, Eberle. Uh, um, so in, in trying to, for, for one reason or another, some of them, you know, mm-hmm. let's not get into that. But, it, you know, Shirley made a lot of big moves. I don't, it doesn't strike me, Bruce, just based on what I hear. Because, like, there, there's, there's talk right now, well, you could trade Nurse or Clefbaum, right? Like, that's one of the things I'm hearing quite a bit from fans. Yeah. And I, and we, 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 we will we'll discuss it later on ourselves here. But um, I, I don't sense he's going to be the big move kind of guy that that's going to happen. And I really did love his example 
of Nygaard and Haas. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked that when he talked about this, he's not going to have this airlift and air out, air, air out uh, every year of players. He immediately went to Nygaard and Haas. Mm-hmm. And those are two players who I really like because mm-hmm. and he Holland likes them because they can skate and they're and they're smart. So they, so they're both strike me. They can skate. They're smart. They're they're sound defensively, and they're they're figuring out a way to help this team. Both of those players. I wish Nigard had been healthy this playoffs. I yeah, think he no could have helped them. Haas looked really good in Game Four. He did. I thought so. Um, I want to see more to from have, both but, players. And yeah, I'm glad they're I'm a, glad they're coming back. Frankly, me too. Great to have a GM who's who recognized that because I could see it was almost like it's almost like I was expecting them not to come back mm-hmm. because. That's the Oilers, right? They never, they never, they don't bring back the role players. They don't work with the utility players and find a role for them. And I, so I think we're going to see almost all of them back. I'm not sure about Riley Shea, and that's going to come down to money. But uh, Haas is Haas is good to go, and uh, he's going to be. I think he's going to be a useful player next year. Nygaard, we didn't, we haven't seen for some time, but the but the same deal. So I, I really like his patience. A patient approach because we've had the impatient approach right. with Shirelli just recently and that was a, a bit of a mess. I like what he said about the you know baby steps but making them in the forward direction and and how he said you know making a big stride forward is absolutely worthless if you take a fall back the next year you've yeah. got to keep building on that you got to you got to get into the playoffs every year and he talked about, you know, taking a step forward and then two back or step forward and then three back. And I m- mumbled to my radio and then 10 back in honor of the 10 <laughs> years in a row. I least missed the playoffs from 2007 to 16. Uh, but also, uh, uh, you know, the last time the Oilers made the playoffs two years in a row was 99 to 2000 and 2001. That's a long freaking time uh, without returning to... Uh, the playoffs and I mean you could say now they haven't made the playoffs for three years and in one sense technically you're right but to me they they made the playoffs they just got kind of got hosed out of, in a way out of participating in them I just wrote a big post about that but um, uh, and obviously they own some of their failure in the in the play-in round but uh, circumstances kind of conspired against them a little bit this year I think it's fair to say uh Anyways, uh, to me, they're building off of a playoff team, but they got to make it back next year. There's just no excuse for not being able to to build on it. And, and Holland stressed that both on uh, uh, in his press avail and then again on Oilers now. The same general point that they, you know, they got to keep moving forward. And you know, you don't necessarily go from from, he's talking about goals against. He's talking about going from 25th to 15th, and he said, "said you don't necessarily go to second, but you got to, you know, get up into the top 10 and make these incremental steps to gradually, you know, uh, uh, strengthen all of the weaknesses and not develop any new gaping weaknesses, and uh, uh, just just build your your team over a series of years. It's not going to happen overnight, and." Uh, uh, I think he's right that you're foolish to think that it will. I mean, I guess it can in certain environments, but I think uh, uh, this insistence that there's no room to fall back is, you know, like that's clearly where he's drawn his red line, so to speak. That his, there's no his room quote, for. Yeah, his quote. His here's his, his exact quote: 
But if we fall back and we miss the playoffs, it's nothing. So he was talking about, um, I'll give the full, full, full quote here. If we can play our way into the playoffs in the 2021 season, then we're, then you're going to look back and hope that this massive disappointment against the Chicago Blackhawks is going to be the experience and fuel for us, motivation for us to do something better next year in the playoffs. But if we fall back and we miss the playoffs, it's nothing. It would be no factor in the overall scheme of things. And I like that kind of hard-headed realism. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like there's no BS about that. And um really appreciated that. I, and I also, Bruce, in terms of his patience and continuity comment, I think one of the reasons that he, he's he's not just not blasting McDavid and Dreisaitl because it's it would be impolitic to do so. It would certainly be that. But I do think he's taking a very patient approach with these players too. He understands they're a work in progress. They're just like every other player on the team. And they're going to be part of the continuity of the team. They're they're the heart of the team, the backbone. But he's got to be patient with them as well. So it's one thing for you and I to be impatient, you know, and to point out in stark terms, here's where they went wrong. Here's where these players um, failed. Because we're just evaluating performance. We're talking as honestly as we can about the performance of every player. His job is different than our job. His job is to build these players up, to work with them over time and to turn them into champions. And mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think his press conference performance was brilliant in terms of defending those players in a very subtle, non-defensive way, uh, avoiding the question a couple times and finally when he couldn't, being positive about it and saying, hey, we all got work. They all, everyone's got work on this area and, and they know it. Um, we are going to have to be patient with Connor McDavid as a defensive hockey player and Leon Dreisaitl. And it's going to be, you don't think this isn't a bitter, like an absolutely bitter moment for both of those two guys. And they're not going to think, if only I had covered that guy then. You know, and I was really mad at Dreisaitl on that winning goal in the series, where which Kublik scored. Yep. But in, in looking back on it, Bruce... Looking at the videotape, I see, I saw something else, actually. Um, Jonathan Taves actually put a wicked hook into Ethan Bear's body. That's why Ethan Bear lost that battle. And that's why, um, you know, the veteran Jonathan Taves won the the key battle for the big goal. Yeah, he hooked the snot out of Ethan Bear to strip the puck from him and was allowed to do that by the refs. And Leon Dreisaitl was, did have his stick down and was trying to cover the slot pass. Now, it turned out there, his player wasn't in the slot. Like the player he should have been, like, you know, if he had been a bit more defensively aware, he would have been over to Kublik. Kublik's off to the side, though, gets the pass and puts it over Koskinen. That's really Koskinen's fault as much as anything. So, yeah, Dreisaitl was a bit out of position, but he, he was there, stick down, trying to stop the play. But he's, Dreisaitl's also shading over just a wee bit. Because he thinks Bear's going to win this. Bear's won the battle, and I'm going to get the pass. But no, the pass never happened because of an uncalled foul by Jonathan Taves in an absolutely critical moment of the games that the referees let happen. Frick. Well, David, though, you know know that the veterans get the calls. That's what they always tell us, right? This is why Jonathan Taves is allowed to do stuff like that. Whereas uh, fresh-faced, peach-fuzz kids like Chris Russell, now if they get a hand in or something, they're going to get called because they're not veterans the way Sir Jonathan Taves is. Yeah. 
Uh, Russell's <laughs> penalty and was less. Russell's interference with the player was less than Taves's. Didn't Ethan take Bear away makes a scoring that, chance, whereas yeah. this one created a scoring chance. And Ethan Bear it, makes that it, play a hundred percent of the time if he doesn't get hooked, because there's no reason he doesn't. Why is he stumbling on the ice all of a sudden? Because he's getting hooked. Pitchfork, can opener. All right, Bruce. Uh, there was a reference to couple references to to players which i'll just quickly go over tyler ennis he'd like him back he he thinks he's a smart player can play up and down the lineup andreas athanaseo didn't give as much as he had hoped and mike smith uh i'd say that holland spoke for about five to ten minutes on mike smith between the two interviews and didn't say anything clearly one way or the other but if i had to guess well but I'll let you speak. What What do you think on those three players? What What, what are they going to do? Uh, well, I thought, yeah, the Ennis one. I mean, that that uh, reflects most of the commentary I've seen from the fan base and other pundits that people think that at the salary he was this year, that he was a bargain. He's a useful depth player, scoring player that can play on your second, third, fourth line, score some points, and at eight hundred thousand dollars, that's a bargain. Now whether the player is going to still think he's an $800,000 player after a 40-point year or whatever it was. That's another question. Um, but uh, it is a it is going to be a flat market with a flat cap. Uh, so uh, that's a player that might actually literally take a hometown discount to sign, come back and play in his hometown, Edmonton. Uh, he's had already a big contract earlier in his career and, you know, they might have sweetened the pot some, but I don't see him suddenly becoming a $2 million guy again. So uh, there's a pretty good chance that that one gets worked out. Uh, Athanasiu, they have, this is a really interesting case. They have um, RFA rights on him, but the qualifying offer is $3.0 million if they want to go the old-fashioned route and, and, and secure his rights. My thinking is, and everything Holland said today kind of confirms that this might be the approach, that the organization will come to him well ahead of the qualifying offer deadline with the contract extension offer, but it won't be for as much as that qualifying offer. That'll be as much as, say, $1 million lower than the $3 million he made this year. I mean, he had it brutally. He won the green jacket in the NHL. His goals totaled plummeted from 30 to... But he barely had over 10 to Nick. Well, all of them were, but one were in Detroit. Uh, he had 12 games without a point here uh, after, you know, after his debut. 12 straight games without a single point, including all of the playoffs. So his bargaining power is not strong outside of the fact that, the, that you know, technically he needs that qualifying offer and technically he's eligible for arbitration. Uh, but if Holland goes to his camp and say, okay, here's $2 million dollars one-year deal now, or 1.8, or 1.5, or 2.1, or whatever figure, but it won't be three million. Uh, do you want to take your chances on the open market, or do you want to uh, sign, uh, you know, a place where where you're known, and we're going to give you this opportunity uh, on this team with these players on it, and if you have a good year, then next year you'll have a better contract negotiation. I I think that. Uh, uh, that's a likely scenario, and then it's up to the players' camp as to whether to accept or to simply say, well, you didn't qualify me, so I'm going to go on the open market. How much do you think he'd make on the open market? 
Yeah. Good question. I, it's a hard. It's a hard one for an agent, like you know, because the agent's all about making money for the player, and, and you know, it's, it makes the agent the looks agent. good, and he's looking out for the interest of the player, and he. he but he, he really, the agent really needs to push hard too, right? Because that's his job. Yeah, and um, so I don't know if Athanasiu will take the take the salary hit. I thought Athanasiu on a third line. I thought he was really good against Chicago. The second he was pushed up to the dry saddle line. You know, I guess if he had scored a goal on one of those chances, we'd all, I might be saying different. So to be fair to him and in these, in the final game with the dry saddle line, he had some, he had some looks at net partly because he was just on that line and those looks get created by Leon dry on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. Right. I didn't like him on that line. I didn't think he looked Mm -hmm. good on that line all year long. He certainly didn't look good on, on the playoffs. I have a question. I don't think he's the right fit for dry saddle and Yamamoto at all. Right. That's they need to play like Ennis was fine because he's a player who reads the plays, has hockey smarts, works with other players. Nugent Hopkins is obviously brilliant. I think he might fit with McDavid at Athanasiu. And again, I think this was one of the mistakes, one of the many mistakes Dave Kippett made in the playoffs was not trying Athanasiu with McDavid because McDavid is a very different player than Drysaddle. He, oh, yeah. he, you know, it's not a he's a soloist, McDavid, he carries the puck himself. So he needs players who are going to go to the net hard, essentially, go win the puck hard and get up, get it back to him, and then back check hard um, when when he gives it up. And it's not as it's a different role, and it's suited to some players, and I think it might be suited for Athanasio. So, I mean, I hope he signs here. I think he's a good player, and and if but I don't think they're going to qualify him at that amount. And if they let him, and if they decide to let him go, I'll say, well, such such is life. Mike Smith, yeah. When Tippett, when Tippett didn't start him in Game Four, to yeah. me that's a signal. To me, it was a signal he's done as an Oiler. I, that's how I took it, but I'm probably wrong about that. I, thought he I would just thought play if you can't, can't trust him, and then, did. yeah, mm-hmm. so did I. And I thought if you can't trust him, then Bruce, well, why do you have him? Mm-hmm. What? Well, but the, the answer might be well, because because he's a really good other goalie, and you can't do better than that. So maybe he will be back. If it, I, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I think Holland kind of beat around that bush a little bit, and there was, certainly was no real vote of confidence in there. And uh, he left open the possibility, but I, I think uh, uh, Smith is one of several players whose um, likelihood of returning to the team uh, took a hit during the short postseason. That's something I would have put at 60-40 beforehand. It's now 40-60, say, or 30-70 that he'll be back. And it's it's now a case I'm more expecting a different goalie than the same one back. And I wouldn't have said that uh, a month ago. Yeah. Holland said something really interesting, Bruce. Uh, I think this was with the media interview, not with Stauffer. He said, quote, I think I've got a good idea what I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. Can I do it? That's what I got to find out over the next couple of months. We're a salary, we're salary cap challenge, but there's right. probably 20 like us when mm-hmm. you're, when you come up with a flat cap trades right. are going to have to be similar money for similar money. If there's a trade. Mm-hmm. So I just thought he, he, he knows what he needs to do here. Right. So uh, what would be the obvious thing that you need to do? I, I think the obvious thing that this team needs to do is, get another forward and get another goalie. Like if you can like get a top six forward and get a, 
get another get a a really good goalie. And I wonder I wonder if Holland's kind of thinking that way or not. And I don't one, know. One persistent rumor that's uh, I mean I don't know if it's just scuttlebutt or what it is at this point, but I keep sort of hearing whispers that the Oilers are interested in Braden Holtby, who's going to be a unrestricted free agent uh, from Washington and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the process of being outplayed uh, by Ilya Samsonov this year, uh, the goalie Washington drafted in the first round of the McDavid draft. He finally is in the league and making the impression they always thought he would. And Holtby's likely going on for greener pastures, but they can't be very green around here because they just don't have enough green to give away at this point unless they can really find a way to clear contract space. So... The other uh, the other aspect is trade, where you can trade contract for contract to fill needs, right? So maybe there's a team out there that has two goalies uh, that's looking for an expensive defenseman, and and you can trade Chris Russell or Adam Larson and get a contract back. Lars uh, Russell. Uh... Did you hit the mute button there? That was clever I if you did. I did. I was about to sneeze. You rock, so I man. Stifled you rock. Mike, and then I stifled the sneeze. Um, <laughs> so if they get, let's say, let's say the, they, um, you know, they could move on from Athanas to you. That would be three million. They could four million with oh, Russell. Four, yeah. four million with Russell. Larson and Larson or Benning, one or the other, would be either four million or two million. So there could suddenly be some room. To, to maneuver a bit. Mike Smith is three million. So it depends what they do because they do have a lot of young players, you know, like if they decide, let's say they decide to bring in Bruce, one big expensive veteran, like it's six or seven million dollars a year. Um, they can do that if the rest of their players, if they if they cut salary elsewhere and the rest of the guys they have, but they have, you know, Tyler Benson and players like that. There are going to be lots of Tyler Ennises who get the league minimum around that. So um there's a possibility the Oilers do have one big move, and I wonder what what Holland would would want most of all a goalie or a forward uh, to play with Connor McDavid. And it's going to be interesting to find again find the right forward to play with Connor McDavid. I think Connor McDavid actually does really well with with um, with grinders, with players who and, and the more skill they have, the better. But the more kind of up and down winger you have, who plays a very simple game, hard to the net, hard back on the back check, like. Imagine um, Alex Chason with speed, you know, that player, or James Neal with a bit more speed. James Neal five years ago. That's kind of the winger I, I see with McDavid, not, you know, this fancy passer. I don't think Nuge is the right fit, honestly. I think he, he's much better suited to play with uh, Drysaddle and Yamamoto. Um, I don't think these kind of give and go players are, are the ones. So it, it might be a challenge to find the right winger to go with McDavid. Uh, um, Maybe maybe you'd have like a pure kind of sniper type of player who doesn't need the puck a lot. Um, but I don't know what he's going to do. I, th- I think there is room to maneuver. But I just it was, I thought it was interesting that he said he knows what he has to do. Uh, Bruce, let's move on to D-men. We've already been kind of talking about it a little bit. But Holland made an interesting call, comment to Bob Stoffer, and I'll read it to you and get your reaction. Holland said, quote, defensemen are at a premium in the National Hockey League. We've got some good pros back there. They're all under the age of 30. 
I want to make sure we're we're all not just reacting to a four game series in the middle of August. So this was his thinking, pondering about trading one of these. You know, obviously, I think we're talking about Nurse, Clefbaum, and Larson here. Maybe Benning as well. Um, what do you think they should do? Uh, well, I think Ken Holland's sort of um, uh, his motto is "Don't panic." And mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to panic off of the four games in August, as he rightfully points out, which is a, uh, you know, an aspect that uh, maybe doesn't get as much attention paid as it might in terms of how out of sequence, how, how out of sort some of these guys might be with this tremendous loss of the normal rhythm of hockey. Uh, and I think some of the folks criticizing some of the players for 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 not being like fully ready for game one after all that layoff, it's a tall ask for for some and some guys could handle it and some guys couldn't, and I think you saw that a long ways around other teams as well. Uh, anyways, uh, at the same time, he can't be happy with uh, with what he saw uh, on the back end in in uh, in that series. But he's right that you can't just sort of up and chuck a guy away and say, well, next guy in, okay, let's get rid of Darnell Nurse because we got Caleb Jones in his 40 games of NHL experience or whatever it is to ready to roll and take his spot. He skates just as well and he moves the puck better and, oh, yeah, he doesn't do this and this and this and this and this. But, uh, you know, and so you have you have to be sure that you have either the replacements in-house or you're moving the guy and bringing in his replacement who's going to be... Uh, a saw-off or an upgrade. And as he said, the defensemen are at a premium. Uh, his defense, I mean, if he decided to trade one of these guys, especially Clefbaum or Nurse, I think there would be, you know, there would be a, a good return in that. Uh, but that good return better include a decent defenseman who's going to uh, uh, maintain or upgrade the, their back end, ideally upgrade it. Bruce, I think what Holland might have in mind, honestly, if I'm like the most obvious thing is moving up Chris Russell. Mm-hmm. who is older he, he's mm-hmm. you can move him because he still could really help a team he's i think right. he only gets a million five cap hit next year a million five real money mm-hmm. but yeah. a four million dollar cap hit that's the that's the alpha move for mm-hmm. ken holland this summer if he can move that because then you have caleb jones you have caleb jones at the ready to put right. in your lineup and caleb jones is just a much better player i think for the oilers at least right now than, than chris russell chris russell's skills are Clefbaum and Nurse have a, have a lot of the. They picked up on Russell's skills over the years. They have got a lot of the same skills that he's got. It's time to to move him out, mm-hmm. and to uh, promote Caleb Jones. And if you can do that, then you, maybe you don't have to make any other moves on the blue line except sign Matt Benning to a to a reasonable deal. And if Benning won't sign to a reasonable deal, then you then you're thinking, well, we're, we're right. going to roll the dice on Evan Bouchard, and uh, we also have William Loggison on board. So. And Jones can play the other side in the short term, and and I don't think that would be a disaster. So that's what I I think. Like I haven't made up my mind completely on this because Darnell Nurse was so bad. <laughs> His defensive play was so bad, Bruce, in the playoffs, and Clefbaum really struggled at times as well. Like I can see why people are down on them right now. Like I get that, but I don't think they're going to do it. What I'd like to see most of all is for Leon Drysaddle, Connor McDavid, and Darnell Nurse to make a little personal bet amongst amongst each other, and the and the bet is this. If you consider yourself, and it's on the honor system, responsible for a goal scored from the defensive slot, 
you buy the other two guys dinner that night. So if there's a game and you, you're the guy who lets in the slot goal, the next day you're the one who picks up the tab at the big dinner or the big breakfast or whatever they do. Have those three guys who are supposed to be such good might friends. Make all, that little might bet. be all three meals, David. That's the problem. One each. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's why that's good. There's three meals in a day, Bruce. So um, that's what I want to see. Those three guys... And I know people are mad at the media people, and I guess we're part of the media in our own in our own way um, for for saying, well, yeah, this is just such an older thing to do to blame the best players for losses. Mm-hmm. But it's a Lennart Patrol of sports opinions. That's what I read somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, we're not just Stop doing that. Inspector, we're really going after it on Oilers now today, and and uh, and yeah. uh, on that same. Idea. First, anyway. If you're not, if you're not, the difference between us and other people who might be expressing this opinion about McDavid and Drysaddle and Nurse is, we've our main thing out of the main thing out of our mouths, at least my mouth was the was blaming the coach for the for the mistakes they made. But I haven't heard a lot of that from any from a lot of other people. So we're, I think we're we're, I think we're blaming lots of people mm-hmm. in. <laughs> we're just blaming everyone for the mistakes they made and we're fairly we're trying to be even-handed about it but we're we're mentioning the coach we're mentioning the goalies we're mentioning all the defensemen we're mentioning players who who didn't contribute offensively maybe we've gone a little bit easy on Zach Cassian or I have and, and maybe you've been a bit harder on Cassian um but I think we I think we've been fairly even-handed in in our criticism at least so I'm not I'm not sheepish about saying that McDavid, Dreisaitl and Nurse are also part of we're also a big part of the problem in this series against Chicago and need to f- uh, fix up this part of their game. Let's Did you ahead. think that Holland was uh, was forthright in his uh, assessment of Tippett? Did he did he offer enough criticism or did, did he jump straight to how well they did in the season and he talked about how Tippett made each player feel like he was a stockholder in the team or I like that, that effect. It was that was an interesting quote. Uh, but he was uh, pretty quick to deflect any criticism of his decisions in the series and go to the regular season. Now, I get that you're not going to throw your coach under the bus, or really anyone under the bus, and I thought Holland did a good job of not doing that. And there was no Toby Reader in today's uh, diatribe. Anyway, uh, it was uh, uh, maybe a, a point here or there could be made. I mean, he admitted his mistakes were made, and I think he accepted that wasn't just the coach, you know, in the front office that made mistakes. But uh, uh, did, did you think he gave um, Tippett a bit of a free ride or was it appropriate what he said? Well, it was appropriate what he said. And, and what he said was uh, indeterminate. Because what he said was, here. here's the quote. This is what I focused on in the quote. Uh, he, if, well, first of all, he says, um, I've been at it a long time. If you don't win the Stanley Cup championships, we're going to be second guess. That's the nature, the beauty of uh, sports business. We And we second guess ourselves. He says, down the road, you get to look yeah. back and say, what did I miss? Right. What what would I do, uh, do differently? Mm-hmm. Uh, you just need to make way more decisions that work out. Whether you're a general manager, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, you're going to make some decisions that don't work out, but you've got to wake, make... Uh, Way more decisions that do work out that then don't work out. So um, that was a very interesting comment. And I think it's an acknowledgement that not all the decisions were the, the right decisions. They never are right. And he knows that. 
he mm-hmm. like he won three Stanley Cups, didn't he, in the twenty five years yeah. that he was? So, he, but he had twenty two years where where of this bitter second guessing, right? So he's been through twenty two years of disappointment, of this kind of bitter disappointment where bad decisions were made and wrong decisions were made, and he so he didn't you know jump on the dynamite line getting broken up like we like I have mm-hmm. done and and you have done right. I think as well, and I, I think that's appropriate for him not to like. Mm-hmm. I heard Tippett's explanations of, of why he broke up the dynamite line. And I thought it was a load of bunk. Like everything Tippett said, honestly, like, uh, well, we're trying to build down the road and we need balance and McDavid and McDavid. We can't be a one line team. One line teams can't win in the playoffs. Second line. Yeah. One, it's not a one line team because you have McDavid. I want to sound like a shot of McDavid almost. I mean, I'm sure that's not what he meant, but I mean, that's almost a takeaway. And then he also said something like, well, we had McDavid and Dreisaitl on one line. They were the best line of the league. Yeah, but you tip it, you only broke them up, if you're completely honest, when they were when they when they fell apart and were crappy in December. Then you broke them up. The the Dynamite line had never had that month-long period of being one of the worst lines in the hockey in the NHL, like the McDavid Dreisaitl line had. So Tippett's reasoning, I don't buy it. I I but but I get that it might take him some time to wear that, to process that, to think about that, to think about how the players meshed. I think he has some learning to do about how are you going to get Connor McDavid line mates and who are those players going to be? He's got, I think, if if Tippett has to think about one thing this summer, he's got to think about that because I, I don't think he necess- he didn't ace that in his first year. I think it's a real hard thing to do. His team was best when he, when he, when he isolated McDavid, let the other teams... Um, deploy their top defensive players and strategy to stopping McDavid and then unloading the dynamite line on them next shift. Say, okay, you handle that. How are you going to handle this? And having the, you know, I'd say second, third, and fourth best players on the team on the second line, that gave other teams a dimension they couldn't handle. So I still don't quite understand why he went away from it. But we've been, uh, we've, we've been banging that drum for a few days now. So yeah, to answer your question again about did Holland him off easy? No, I think he was patient with this coach and he understands the process that everyone needs to go through. And I think that's really fair. And I, and I think that he's, Holland sets an example for us as well. Like if we want our team to win, if we want to be good and loyal fans, the faithful, if we want to be the faithful, right. which which we do, I think. Um, but most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. Until Not it's time everyone. to fire the coach. Some people are happy, it seems like, to be criticizing everything. And well, they're not. Others, others are happy to let the GM do the work and just follow the team. And most of us are kind of armchair GMs thinking of how it would be different if only we had our way. Right? Yeah. So I think Holland set a good example, Bruce, of um, just uh, to, with patient. To, when we're evaluating Dave Tippett, let's go on the whole body of work. And we we have mentioned this, that he made mostly the right decisions all year long mm-hmm. and that we didn't hardly criticize him all year long. And mm-hmm. and that's really important to keep in mind. And and even though he seemed kind of obstinate and I didn't like anything he had to say about his bad decision, like let's give him time and see what he does because uh, he, he really did do a good job with this team this year. And he was an excellent coach in so many ways, I think. His I line combinations were, were were generally speaking, especially in the second part of the year, fa- were fantastic. He really nailed it in January until McDavid and Negard got hurt. He had the perfect line combinations. And I wish he had just gone to those January lines. 
again mm-hmm. in for the start of the playoffs. But he tried something else, and guess what? He's <laughs> he's he, he, he's he's the one who's suffering because of the decisions that he made. I believe so. Like I don't think he's a I don't I doubt he's the kind of person who's going to um, continue to think. Well, it was nothing. I didn't do anything wrong. I think like Holland suggests, he's going to think. Well, where did it go wrong? But it's going to take a while. Anything else, Bruce, that was said that you want to? Yeah. I don't think so. I'm just scrolling through, but uh, um, I I think he left room for some players to be moved out, and he left, uh, and he gave the impression that uh, one or two would be brought back, uh, especially Ennis. Um, but there's going to have to be some, um, some moves, you know, with the flat cap, you know, that implies not going and signing Braden Holtby on the open market, for example, because you're not, you're not solving someone else's cap problem by taking that. So they're not going to solve yours. It might make more sense for them to say, offer, let's, let's just, throw a balloon out there Chris Russell to Arizona for anti-ranta who has a year to run at basically four million dollar cap hit so the cap hits are kind of a wash but I think ranta is basically owed real money whereas uh, Russell's already had a chunk of his paid so there would be some dollar savings there where the cap hits would be a wash but Edmonton would address their goalie issue and uh, I mean I'm not sure that Arizona specifically needs another veteran defenseman but there may be a trade like that with him with Adam Larson you know some other player uh that's a fit and because uh, uh, I I'm not sure that the answer in any way is going to be expensive free agents it's going to be finding a bargain here finding a bargain there making a deal there and just sort of uh, of working around the en- edges of strengthening uh, the core of the team, which uh, for all of its failings in the playoffs or perceived failings in the playoffs, you know, it's a pretty impressive core that the Oilers have and yeah. still improving year over year. You know, if they can't move out Russell, they have a problem. I, I think then they might have to look at moving out Larson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and because I think they need to make space for Caleb Jones mm-hmm. and um, both for the team and cap reasons maybe you know maybe they buy out russell i don't know but um i doubt it like russell played well he's he's a good hockey player like i don't have any problem with chris russell's play it's just i just think it's time right they need someone who can move the puck a bit better get point shots on net better they got defensive defensemen who who replicate his skills it's it's time to say goodbye and see what they can do there bruce what did you think of holland just overall his overall demeanor? demeanor um his just his math his overall message that what he said what did you where does it leave you with this uh, it, it, it leaves me with a sense of calm that uh, we've got a you know he he's accumulated a lot of wisdom over the year and I think he's naturally a, a sort of a wise thoughtful person and and he exudes this sense of control like he he thinks of everything and it's not like he spent all of his time exonerating things. Like he recognized there was problems that things do need to be improved. The status quo is not good enough, but he didn't toss anyone under the bus or, or, um, 
you know, I, I thought his answers, as long-winded as some of them were, uh, there was not really like any miss. Wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't any missed. Uh, yeah, geez, that one time he was adding up the goals against in the playoffs, and it took him about a minute and a half to get to uh, 6 plus 3 16. plus 4 plus 3 equals 16. I thought he was going to say person, woman, man, camera, TV at one point. But he... Uh, uh, like I like what I liked his. I do like his general demeanor. I think he's a genuinely likable person. I understand that he is in person the same as what you see on camera or here over the microphone. Just that's just the way he normally is. And 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 it's. It, I find him an easy fellow to root for. And I'm not sure I would say that about all of the prior. Uh, um, you know, GMs, like, I mean, Peter Shirelli, he left me cold a lot of times. I, I can't remember a time where I saw Ken Holland and he just left me. Like, what in the hell is he doing, you know? Uh, uh, I mean, it doesn't always work out, but at least there always seems to be a rationale and a reason for, for doing what he's doing. And that said, when you look at the track record, like when we go into the draft this year, and we go, well, the second round pick is gone for Athanasiu, and the third round pick is gone for the Neal trade, and the fourth round pick... It's gone for the Mike Green trade, and the fifth round pick is gone for the Tyler Ennis trade. I think that might be next year's, but you know what I mean. They, they've traded away a lot of assets to strengthen the team at the deadline, and it didn't amount to a whole lot by the time uh, Green pulled out and uh, and Ennis got hurt and Athanasio didn't score. You know, but the 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 rationale for making those trades at least you know kind of holds together. It just didn't work out, obviously, the way he or anyone hoped. I like that they went for it, Bruce, while mm -hmm. holding on to their first-round draft pick. Mm -hmm. um, the lower-round draft picks are can turn out, but the first-round draft pick is much more likely to turn out in any draft. Far, 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 far more likely to turn out. So, yeah, yeah I wish they had held on to their second picks. And, um, you know, the Athanasiu trade might not work out in the end. But I, I like that they went for it because I do think they had a chance to go deep into the playoffs this year and might well have done so under different circumstances um, with, you know, play if without COVID hitting, which they, you know, it was kind of COVID was kind of perking along pretty good in February underneath most people's yeah. noses at that time. But, but, you know, below the radar for most people, certainly. Anyway, I, I don't have a problem with trading those picks i'm hoping actually i think the owners have a number of assets they can trade four picks um at this coming draft teams do need defensemen i think the owners have a veteran defenseman or two that they can move and they might be able to get some draft picks as part of that mm -hmm. um so um, not bending for a second round pick yeah it's not Who over says no i mean there's teams that could certainly use a player like that with uh you know four four years and 300 games under his belt or whatever it is, 250 games. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, you know, that kind of player, you know, at a controlled cost, that kind of player has, has value. So there, there, he has different options of how he can collect draft picks. But uh, obviously, yes, the RV being another uh, potential trading chip. Uh, yeah. But those are things for us to discuss going forward. They didn't come up specifically today, but uh I do agree that he'll want to uh, he'll want to put a couple extra draft picks in the cupboard. Alrighty, yeah, I have the same feeling as you about Holland. I thought, like you in in a in a message to me, uh, you, you talked about him being kind of an elder, mm -hmm. and um, I, that's a very good word 
for yeah. Ken Holland. He's a wise elder of NHL hockey right now. And as long as he's still got the energy, right, to takes a tremendous amount of energy and commitment and hunger to be an NHL GM. It's a high stress, high performance job. He seems to still have that. That's why he took on this job. Uh, I don't think he's taken, he's not um, phoning it in from another no, city. You know, he's here not, in Edmonton. No. He's he's all in. He's a hockey lifer. He's all in. He's all in with the Oilers. He seems to be, uh, and man, his wisdom just came pouring through in every single answer. And um, I'm glad that we have someone so steady at the helm of the Edmonton Oilers. I'm glad that Ken Holland is GM. He's a people person. And I mean, his whole job is relationships, you know, with his own staff, his own scouting staff, his own players, opposing GMs, agents, whoever. And I, I mean, he's a talker and he talks. And one thing that we talked about, we talked about earlier in, in the season was how, uh, uh, how he kept his promises to the players that, that he brought in, that he gave them all a chance to play. And he moved on the ones that he, he didn't think would have a further chance to play. And what he told their agents he would do with those guys is what he did with those guys. And there, there was no sort of panic trades or peak trades like the way Drake Kajula got traded the day after he made a bad turnover. You know, there's not, none of that kind of... kind of. Uh, it was uh, time for Kajula uh, to go. Well, yeah, for Brandon Madden, Not in that trade, not in that trade. But. Anyway, yeah, it, there's there's just not that kind of... Uh, of Uber, is that the word, to uh, Ken Holland's approach that he's going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, analyze a guy over... The fullness of time. He will make moves, but uh, if they won't be made in, 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 in uh, sort of random process, the way Peter Chiarelli devolved into over, really, you know, had 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 issues all along, and then by the last year, he was doing stuff that just made, to me, no sense at all. And I haven't seen anything That's yet true. that Ken Holland did that made no sense at all. Oh, Shirley in his last year was just totally grasping at straws and, and getting it wrong every single time. Like, just totally, it was totally a mess. You know, like... Spooner, he's going to solve things, David. Manning and... Uh, we need to break Alex cycle. Let's go and get Petrovic and Manning on the two same Two guys day. who can't move the puck. On two the two of the worst puck movers in the NHL. Okay, let's leave it there. Bruce, <laughs> thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime... And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.